Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about that Leonine Centaur, the Wemmick. <laughs> So, the Wemmick first appeared in the Monster Manual 2 for first edition AD&D. They're described as large lion centaurs that roam the temperate grasslands. They're supposedly very rare, they have their own language, and they spend their time hunting antelope and similar herd animals. They're very difficult to surprise, being surprised only on a 1 in 6. In combat, they can attack with both claws and a weapon due to their centaur-like build. They're able to leap 10 feet upwards and 30 feet forwards. They're sort of depicted as having an almost Stone Age culture, being armed with like javelins, stone clubs, hard leather shields and things like that. There's a little black and white picture in here showing this like lion man upper body with sort of like a human body but leonine features and obviously the lion lower body. And it has very primitive, almost sort of tribal looking clothing on, but it's only a tiny picture and not very detailed. They seem to have like a mix of sort of tribal and sort of leonine characteristics. They live in groups called prides, and as well as having like chieftains and their bodyguards, there's a 70% chance that any tribe will have a witch doctor with them who is a 7th level cleric slash 4th level magic user. I believe next they appear in the AD&D 2nd edition monster mm-hmm. manual. So what does it say about them in there, love? So, uh, pretty much the same. For some reason, the females have got a higher armour class than the males. Uh, I assume that's because the males are wearing armour sometimes. Um, We've got uh, pretty much the same description. Yeah. We've got quite a nice picture. Um, Obviously, lion body, human torso... Leonine humanoid face, so like mane-like hairdo, yeah. holding a stone axe. Or it's got a metal shield in there. Mm-hmm. From the look of it, and he's just wearing a belt. He's got nothing attached to his belt. <laughs> he's All- just got a belt. Although I'd imagine, you know, if you're like a centaur-like thing, maybe like if you had tours or something. You'd keep mm-hmm. him in, you'd have to have some sort of belt because you couldn't wear like trousers with pockets, could you? I expect it made it quite easy to connect up the human model. And the oh, yeah, yeah. D- well. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure it didn't. <laughs> like you say, there's nothing depicted as being on the belt in the picture. Yeah. But I would imagine if you were a centaur, like having a belt to like hang your tools and stuff uh-huh. off would be quite useful, as well as making it easier for the artist. Uh, and if you were going to make that as a LARP costume, you'd stick a big belt around Oh, that yeah, bit. of course you would. Yeah, cover up the joints, yeah. <laughs> All day, every day. Um, we've got the description of societies, uh, groups of prides. We've got 44 adult males, 2d12 adult females, 1d12 cubs. Yep. Um, groups of prides often band together into a single tribe that's led by a chief. And the chief has an extra bit of armour class. And sometimes a few of these tribes will join and make a clan or a nation. The Giga Tribe. Uh huh. Considering they're supposed to be like super rare, it's surprising that there's enough of them for that to actually happen. I've got. I did think a bit about that yeah. when I was looking at the first edition version. It's like, oh, they're very rare, but there seems to be loads of them based on like the description of how they're organised. Mm-hmm. 
um, that they have litters of cubs. All right, okay. Which they can have at any time of year. Uh, they're born one hit dice, gain two hit dice each year, reach maturity at age three. Okay. And it strikes me that if they're having that many kids... Why are they so rare? <laughs> why are there so few adults? Um, but anyway... Uh, human level intelligence, Stone Age culture, using fire, modest manufacturing skills... Uh, stone weaponry, pottery, ornaments can be taught more complex skills, make for excellent trackers and guides. That makes sense. And looking over all of this sort of put together, you can see it's a very sort of 70s, 80s, uh, dark continent tribal yeah, idea. That's sort of it's, like noble savage vibe, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then the very last line with that lamp shaded makes me extremely uncomfortable which is Wemmick cubs are worth 500 gold pieces they can be trained as servants or allies yeah, yeah that, that, <laughs> that, that's probably not aged terribly well that, that, um, does, that does strive very much the old tiles and films where they're like what yeah. hell I'm going into the jungle to civilise these savages and obviously that sort of attitude has not uh-huh. aged well big cats are really really cool and the sort of big cat human combination yeah is really really appealing at this point i really don't think dnd have hit the mark very well well well, let's face it i mean obviously that book's fairly old Uh, and also as you rightly say people just love playing them cat people Mm -hmm. for some reason i've never really understood it but people do oh I, i can't think who you talking about there oh no, not, not just you because I know you love playing cat people but like people online love playing them cat people it's because they're cool okay so, so what about third ed when did it turn up there right so in third ed it turned up in the monstrous compendium Monsters of Faerun by James Wyatt and Rob Heinso and this is obviously monsters that are slanted for the Forgotten Realms but you know you can use them in other sort of settings obviously now, it's third edition, so obviously it's, we get the sort of stato plenty stat block. Um, they've got loads of skills such as hide, jump, listen, move silently, spot, wilderness law, effectively to allow them to sort of represent the fact that they're these amazing hunters. They can move stealthily, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They have a similar sort of pride based structure. We're told that they, they're fierce hunters roaming the plains, they're masters of ambushes and strategy. They have the body of a lion with a humanoid torso extending from what would be the lion's neck from head to rump they're 10 to 12 feet long while they are six to seven feet tall when standing erect they're covered in dusky golden fur their tails tipped with a brush of black hair adult males have a mane of long black hair that extends down to the neck and shoulders their underbellies are white and their faces a mix of human and lion characteristics all six limbs ending claws apparently in this even including like their the hands mm-hmm. which is interesting but they can still use them to wield weapons um we're told they live in hunting groups called pride so similar sort of thing that as with all the monsters in this book so we get a little sort of sidebar saying in the realms which is talking about them specifically in Faerun 
and it says tribes of Wemmicks are often found in a number of areas throughout Faerun, including the Stonelands, Paleor's Prairie, and the Shining Plains west of Termish. They're also prominent in Shaw. It says, at present, they're nothing more than rumours, but tales tell of an offshoot race of Wemmicks that don't have a mane, that dwell in the Desert Mouth Mountains and the Thunder Peaks. These mountain Wemmicks are supposedly related to the more common race, just like mountain lions are related to common lions. And they're described as being a little bit smaller than their cousins, and we get some variant stats for them. And that's pretty much it, to be honest. There's a picture in here which is not particularly great, to be honest. It's all right, but it doesn't have a lot of movement to it. And for some reason, like, the Wemmick has, like, the maddest, like, frown on his face. Like, he's just peering out from behind his shield and going, yeah, everything's rubbish out there. Mm. And again, there just doesn't look a lot of movement. I, I vastly prefer the uh, the second ad artwork to that. Now, I've got here the Races of Faerun, yeah, which I'm... is almost exactly the same information you've just given. Yeah, now, if I remember correctly, that book was designed to allow players to like play mm-hmm. monster races in third edition. And I just wanted, while we were on the artwork, to point out this guy... Because I think looks that's like a bad probably my favourite picture of the ones we've looked at. Yes, there's a lot great. of action in both the lion sh- uh, part of the model and the human part of it, but also he's got a really feline face. Yeah, I mean it, it's human sized, but it's a cat head. Yeah, and I mean, there's action in every part of it. I mean, the lion part of the body looks like it's about ready to like spring forwards. He's twisting the, the part of his human body and sort of like pointing out with his spear. There's a snarl on like the sort of lion human face. He's holding a shield, mm-hmm. basically looking like he's good to go and mess someone up proper. He's got his belt, but this time it's got quite a lot of pretty decoration on it, and it's also got. Um, pouches or maybe bandages or something like that belt pouches Uh, he's got a couple of other bits of ornamentation and then he's got this funky sort of tribal shield I want to say Zulu shield I don't know if it's Zulu it's like the ones the guys in the movie Zulu had so probably not then (laughs) probably not but um, yeah they've obviously lent into the sort of like primitive slash like tribal angle Mm -hmm. when they're depicting the equipment on here and they've actually put some effort into making it look semi-realistic which is nice to see so yeah as a player character we've got the usual sort of rundown of stats here so the following racial traits plus 8 strength damn plus 2 dex plus two constitution minus two charisma and i do not know where they're getting that from but i'm gonna hazard a guess that that's maybe due to the fact that they're like don't get on with other races mm-hmm. so maybe they're a bit sort of like standoffish mm-hmm. <laughs> also then you probably need to balance out that plus eight yeah. strength <laughs> uh we've got size penalties because they're large creatures yeah uh, we've got five foot reach, land speed forty feet, plus four natural armor, dark vision sixty feet. Proficient with weapons and shields, plus eight racial bonus on jump checks, which makes sense. Uh, monstrous humanoid hit dice has five d eight racial hit dice. Mm-hmm. receives maximum points for the first monstrous humanoid hit die and rolls 
his other monstrous humanoid hit die normally. Uh, yeah, he, he gets a buttload of hit points is what that amounts to if you're not familiar with that particular mechanic. Yeah. Um, he gets plus five to his base attack bonus, and then with his saving throws, he gets plus one fortitude, plus four reflex, and plus four will. Uh, what else we got? Is there a level adjustment on there? It's normally at the bottom of that section you're on now. Level adjustment is plus three. See, I was expecting something like that. So that effectively means if you're like a first level Wemmick of any class, you need to get like enough XP to get you up to like fifth level before you're actually at second level. Because all of that extra shit you've got, like the plus eight strength and the extra mm-hmm. hit dice, makes you more powerful. So... I don't know how well it worked, and I've already rolled with like monstrous like PCs when I was playing third air. But the idea was is you'd start off and you would be like tougher than the average bear when everyone was at level one. But as everyone else started advancing, by the time they got to like level three, four, five, they'd be sort of getting about level with you, and then you'd mm-hmm. start advancing with them. So any extra background or history or anything like that? So we've got uh, Wemmick deities, which are obviously Forgotten Realms specific. Yeah. Nabanian, the demigod of noble animals. Oh, yeah, obviously. Uh, or Malar. Oh, yeah, I know Malar. Like the evil god of like beasts and uh-huh. the wild. Relations with other races. They prefer to be isolated. They prefer to deal with people who recognise the sanctity of nature. Um, but they're willing to guide just about anyone through or around their homelands for the right deal. That makes them sound extremely mercenary. Yeah, I was going to say, mind you, to to be fair, if they're like a tribal society, that means that, like, their loyalty is probably to their own tribe. So if you're like, oh, listen here, Mr. Wemmick of Tribe A, oh, I'm trying to, like, have a pop at Tribe B of Wemmick's. Maybe you could like help me out. I could see them work, working with that, you know, if they've got like a rival tribe or something. And then we've also got this bit called Outlook. Yeah. Uh, which is mostly they live in harmony with nature. They like to be on their own. Stuff we've already covered. They like to be on their much. own, even though they like wander around in vast prides. Because <laughs> that's a thing. Tell what makes me laugh. I like to think of like you know say oh. It doesn't make much sense they like to be on their own, but they're like wandering around in big prides. Always makes me imagine that like all these Wemmicks are like very emo, so they wander around in the tribes, but they're just like, no one understands me or my pain. Mm-hmm. They spend all their time sort of like trying to find a corner to be on their own with, even though they're in like a massive pride. Mm-hmm. So, adventuring that adventuring Wemmicks sometimes leave their remote homes to see more of the world. Uh, fascinated by the human merchants that travel through their territory and some noticing that human civilizations getting closer to where they live have started to sort of try and learn more about what the humans do and what they're about before the humans basically just steamroller over their land. So they're definitely rocking that like colonial sort of like civilization versus yeah, I think, primitive vibe there. I think they're trying to lean into it with the Forgotten Realms and it certainly comes off slightly better than it did in Second Ed. Well that's not surprising <laughs> given that this book was done you much know, later. They haven't put a GP value on the children. <laughs> Yeah, that's always nice when that doesn't happen. 
Um, but thing is, though, to be honest, and not, not not to like, not to encourage that, but you know, if if at any point some like player character manages to like find a Wemmick cub, the first thing they're going to say is like, "How many GP is this bad boy worth?" I suppose it's better than asking how much XP it's worth. It's better than asking how much its pelts worth. Um, yeah. So uh, you pulled out a little book. What's that? Yeah. This is a this is a small book, almost like a zine, really, and it's by. Jacob D.C. Ross, Thunder Egg Productions, 2019, and it's the complete Beastman Centaurs. Now, this was originally going to be part of like a line of books. I don't know whether they did any others. I, I hope they do if they've not done so already. But the idea of this is they were going to explore sort of like a different type of Beastman in each sort of little book. And the first one is obviously Centaurs. Now, obviously, this isn't Wemmick specific, but one of the things I thought very interesting in here which I thought we could discuss with where, where Wemmicks are concerned, mm-hmm. is it discussed about sort of that idea of, like, how do you balance, like, the civilised, like, human part of the centaur with, like, the more sort of animalistic side of the nature? And the way they choose to represent it in here is they had they had basically, like, two different flavours of centaur. There was one that had sort of, like, embraced their nature, and they got certain bonuses related to, like, the outdoors and wilderness stuff. And then there was ones who, like, rejected their nature... And they sort of embrace their more sort of human side, and they're ostensibly mm-hmm. more civilized, and they got sort of like various other bonuses, and pre- pretty much the way they defined it was very simple. They were like, oh, for for the centaurs, obviously horses aren't, aren't really sort of carnivorous. They basically said um, y- you embrace your animal nature by only eating vegetation, whereas if you like at more of an omnivorous diet you were sort of embracing your human side more because a horse wouldn't naturally do that. Now, obviously, that wouldn't really apply to Wemmicks because obviously we know lions eat meat. But I could very easily see, oh, you know, if you're eating more of an omnivorous diet, you may be embracing your human side, whereas if you're eating only meat, you may be, like, rocking that lion vibe hard. And I think it's an interesting thing because if you're going to play one of these Wemmicks as per races of Faerun, you're going to have to decide where that sort of balance lies between like the lion half and the human half. And I assume it doesn't have to be specifically what you're eating. It could be represented in like many different ways. Like perhaps it's more represented by uh, how you interact with a place. Like not necessarily cats, maybe more dogs. Yeah. Um, you could embrace your nature by defending a specific small territory and or specific group of people whereas you'd be rejecting it by either leaving the territory or leaving the people with cats perhaps it could be about territory perhaps it could be about something else perhaps it could be rather than eating food it could be about indulging your hunting instinct versus not doing yeah, I think in here it wasn't meant to be like a sort of like a straight jacket, you know, like oh, mm-hmm. if you want to be, if you want to embrace your animal side as a centaur, you've only got to eat vegetation. I think it was more so like a general, like those yeah. who have tend to eat this sort of thing. But as you can say, you can easily sort of expand on that. And although this this complete beastman centaurs um, is obviously to do with centaurs, I think it's a great resource to for any sort of like centaur like creature. It gives you like a number of different things to think about. And it covers like quite a few different games. Like there's like a there's like a bit if you want to use them in sci-fi. There's a bit if you want to use them in 
um, your sort of fifth edition game or like your old BX game. So mm-hmm. it covers quite a lot of that. And I know they were on about doing like Minotaurs and other like Animal Men, but I've not seen any like further issues. But um, hopefully they do some of them at some point in the future. So, in terms of using these creatures, these Wemics, in your sort of session, can you give any ideas? It's like stories you could do with relate to them. See, I would probably scrap all of the background that they've got there for yeah. them, just because it makes me a bit squeamish, and I don't really feel like I can do anything worthwhile with it. And I'd probably look at sort of the alien big cat stories that we've got in Britain at the moment. Oh, yeah, like the Beast of Bodmin and all that. That sort of thing. And try and build the Wemmick culture from that simply because it's something I know, something I'm interested in, and something that isn't going to end up with a load of people shouting at me. I don't don't know. (laughs) I I think I'd probably lean into that whole sort of, like, tribal thing more. But braver than me, But but not sort of, of like, doing it on a superficial level. Because I think if you're going to... If you're going to deal with something that's tried... If you want to choose them as disposable bad guys, fair enough. Mm -hmm. It's your game. Crack on. But... If you're gonna if you're gonna sort of try and make something of their society, I'd want to research like probably real world tribal societies a bit. And I'm not saying like I'd become a world authority on it because I wouldn't. Let's face it, but just enough so I could like make it a bit more interesting rather than just like they're primitive. They go around in big groups. They've got witch doctors, which is pretty much what you get at the minute. Mm-hmm. But I'd see that as like right. This is my base level starting off point. If I want to use this. I'm then going to have to build on that and add some layers to that before I expand. And to be honest, I also quite like the idea. We know in like in the real world, without going into too much detail, and don't correct me if I get anything wrong because I'm not a history scholar. We know in the real world when like colonists and whatever came to like roll over like indigenous people and tribes, they tended to win because they had guns. Mm-hmm. Is what it basically came boiled down to. And I'm sure there were other factors, but guns mainly. Now. In a fantasy game, there probably aren't guns, so they might stand more of a chance. Even if there are guns, like I have black powder guns in my game, the, the indigenous people didn't have like magic and they weren't half lion badasses in the real world. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if, if you wanted to do it, it could be an interesting way of going like, how would the, these sort of conflicts work out if the scales were a little more evenly balanced? And you could sort of do that. But that depends entirely on whether you're comfortable in telling that type of story and whether you want that to be a focus of your campaign. Because if you're going to do that sort of concept justice, it is going to become like a major theme, if not the major theme, in your game. And if you just want like some random lion people to like be some NPCs or whatever, or some monsters, you're probably not going to want to lean into it that hard. But I'm going to be ashamed not to, because the... It's one of these creatures where I feel like it's got a lot of possibilities with it, but when you look at the book, they're obviously just like very lightly or not at all like expanded on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the races of Faerun seems like the most sort of like expansive one, and even that's not gone into a lot of detail. I mean, we've intuited a lot from and assumed a lot from the picture, but that's really just one picture. The actual text doesn't give you a great deal to go on. So I think if you're going to use Wemmicks as anything more than just disposable creatures, you'd have to do like a bit more research. And again, as a GM, you'd have to decide how, how much like lions do you want them to be? How much like people do you want them to be? Because if you're like, my Wemmicks are like a 90% lion, with just like a little bit of like humanity on top, 
they're going to be living very different than if you say, oh, they're mostly human, but they've got like the natural instincts of a lion. So again, you're going to have to make that decision about where that sits. And as I was saying with like the complete beast man, you could potentially have both types of Wemmick in your world. Maybe there's some who lean more towards the lion side of the nature. Maybe there's some who lean more towards the human side of the nature. I also think you can make an interesting case for like looking back into mythology to like actual centaurs and animal people and stuff like that. Because how many times do you like look back to like things like the Minotaur and whatever in mythology, and it's like oh some like child like offended the gods and got cursed and became like part animal mm-hmm. what if um what if the original Wemmicks what if they read the curse by the gods or maybe they maybe they sought that state maybe they were so in tune with the wilderness that they became part of it and like the animals maybe they followed a lion god you know a bit like the one t when they like followed the serpent god and they became like serpentine maybe they followed a lion god and like the lion god either saved them from a catastrophe or chose to bless them with like a lion form but was like oh that that human cunning and that that's quite handy so i'm not going to take that away entirely so oh the first Wemmicks are created so rather than just have it be like oh they're random centaur people you can actually like make something more of the origins make them a little bit more mythic which i think could be quite entertaining Mm -hmm. and then it's another mystery for the players to work out as well because maybe they've sort of like made inroads with these Wemmicks tribes they're getting on with them they hear legends about you know how they were formed back in the ancient times maybe they were once tribes of humans maybe they have a similar sort of uh, ancestry to like the player character humans but they sort of diverged off and went one way and the players went another i think you could do a lot with them i think their kids are worth more than 500 gold pieces as well well I, <laughs> generally I, speaking I, I, I don't know i don't know how much i tend to uh, I tend to lean into them like, oh, we're, we're brave adventurers. Now we're selling kids. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's not really my vibe, to be honest. I can see why they've sort of done it, because if, you, if you'd if like captured an animal or something and you were a player character, you'd probably want to uh-huh. sell it. But again, I think it depends on how animalistic are your emics. Where do you draw that line between human and animal? And we could get into a whole... F- oh, I see someone's come to comment. You're worth more than 500 gold pieces. That's what the vet says when he pays us the bill anyway. But, um, again, you could get into a whole philosophical thing about, you know, like, where do you draw the line of saying someone's human? Or where do Mm -hmm. you draw the line between human and animal? Yeah, and to be honest, I think that's probably what they were trying to highlight there, whether or not they were doing it intentionally, whether or not it was clumsy. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's certainly what we're looking at right now. I think, obviously, going into that whole debate, it's a bit beyond the scope of this episode because we've already been talking nearly mm-hmm. half an hour. But I mean, if you wanted to see an episode on that, let us know. We can do that. <laughs> but I think we're probably going to sort of wrap up now. We hope we've yeah. given you some ideas as to how you can use Wemix in your game. If you'd like to comment on this or any other episodes we've done, maybe suggest something you'd like to see yourself, or just have a bit of a general chat. There's a few ways you can get in touch with us, maybe be featured in a future episode. You can leave us a voicemail message using the SpeakPipe website. There's a link in the description below. If you're having trouble with that or can't use SpeakPipe, then we still have our old Anchor account active. Again, link below. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming. Bye. You got anything to add? Oh, you're quiet now. We're finished, haven't you? <laughs>
They have the body of a lion with a humanoid toy so they have the body of a lion with a humanoid so, going in the bloopers afterwards. I don't know. Um, I can't get enough. <laughs>